every leader today faces the common challenge of rising demand, constant overload, and no hope for the future other than more of the same. When I started work, the prize for getting the next promotion included more time to think, plan, strategize, and create. But that path has seemingly long gone. The prize today for success is more work and more direct reports and the expectation of creating more with less. So how do we respond to this reality in a realistic and constructive way? In this show, we talk to Richard Medclaff, who's worked with CEOs and entrepreneurs to help them find time for strategy and break the reactive cycle that overwhelming demand creates. We all need this. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Evolving Leader Podcast. I'm Scott Allender. And I'm John Gomes. And how are we feeling today, Mr. Gomes? I am feeling really full of potential. I'm feeling full of ideas and hope and optimism. I'm feeling really good. How are you feeling, Scott? I'm feeling refreshed. Uh, just got back from my first ever cruise. My wife and I went, uh, did a cruise around Key West in the Bahamas, and uh, we weren't sure if we were cruise people, but after four nights at sea, I think I think it's safe to say we're cruise people now. So, well, it's good to feeling hear. good about that, and uh, feeling super excited to be here with you as always, and to have our guest today. Um, today we are joined by Richard Medcalf. Richard is the founder of X Quadrant and a trusted advisor of CEOs and entrepreneurs and their leadership teams. He's advised business owners and C-level executives for over twenty-five years. After earning a master's degree at Oxford University, Richard joined a premier strategy consultancy where he rose to become the youngest ever partner. He then spent 11 years at tech giant Cisco, firstly elevating Cisco's relevance in the C-suite of its Fortune 100 customers before being selected for an elite team set up by Cisco's CEO to catalyze strategic partnerships and new business models. He founded X Quadrant in 2017 with the mission of helping top leaders reinvent their success formula and multiply their impact on their purpose, their people, and their profit. His personal clients include CEOs of billion-dollar enterprises, a chairman who was nominated by EY as uh, Entrepreneur of the Year, an Olympic medalist, the founders of Tech Unicorns, and many, many more. He also runs the high-end CEO community Rivendell. Richard is binational, English and French, and lives near Paris. He's a licensed lay minister of the Anglican Church and has an insatiable love for spicy food and the electric guitar. We should hang out sometime, Richard. He came to our attention with his new book, Making Time for Strategy, which has recently hit the bookshelves. Richard, welcome to The Evolving Leader, and what is your favorite spicy food? Oh, well, um, hi, thanks. Thanks, God. Uh, my spicy food, well, I'll tell you, the spicier it is, the better it is. Uh, I live in France, right? I've grown up in Britain, and it's hard to get a good curry in France sometimes. Uh, ah. So that's why I've got this insatiable um, quest <laughs> now that I, I'm on. But uh, I'm partial for good Indian curry. That's my probably my main thing. Nice. Excellent. So, Richard, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling... Um, yeah, expansive. I say last week I was on a 
I was in the Caribbean on a leadership retreat, which were uh, actually for me as, as a leader, um, wasn't running the retreat, which is what I normally do. Um, so that was great and very relaxing. And then I came back and then it was just this week uh, where I launched my book. So that was a lot of busyness and activity. So, but it's been a lot of fun and really exciting to bring a project like that to completion. Well, I um, read your book um, and I really enjoyed it. I think it, uh, we're looking forward to talking about it. It really deals with a pressing concern that we experience all the time with leaders. But we've got to start with how you, d- you describe yourself um, as what you get when you put a McKinsey consultant, a slightly unorthodox pastor, and an entrepreneur into a blender. Can you tell us how you've come to be who you are? <laughs> That's a nice, easy question to start. How I've come to be who I am. Well, actually, <laughs> um, yeah, well, okay, well, I'll go deep straight away. I mean, the, the things actually shape who I am. Um, my sister, um, she actually passed away uh, uh, a month ago, um, but she was seriously mentally handicapped. So this was a foundational moment. I didn't even realize that it changed my life because it's just normal to me, right? Um, over the last few years, I really realized it changed my life because, you know, I went off, I went to Oxford, had my high-flying career, became a consultant, became partner, all the things you mentioned, uh, started my own business, all, moved to another country, all these things. And she ended up, you know, she needed 24-hour care. She couldn't speak. She became paralyzed. She, all this stuff that happened, I won't go into it all. Mm. Um, and so I have a deep, deep conviction that if we have the gifts, the talents, the resources, the opportunities to make a positive impact in the world, then let's do that. Let's seize the day. And so that's one of the defining people characteristics of who I am, I think. I, and I realize that if people who are competent and successful and have got all those abilities don't do that, well, how's the world going to be? in a great place for people like my sister who didn't have anything and who needed 100% mm. support. So that's core to who I am. And then the, past the other part is my mother died at age 59. I was not super young. I mean, I was in my, I don't know what it was, 20s, I guess, or, or early 30s when she passed away. Um, but I don't believe in leaving impact to retirement. You might not get there. Mm. Mm. So I always believe that the time for impact is now. Mm. And so those are the two reasons, I think, which really drive what I do. I love that. Um, so let's lay out the thesis for your book. Um, who is it aimed at and what is the problem that you're solving for? Yeah, so the book came out of my work with often these very, very high-level leaders. As you mentioned, some of the kinds of clients I work with, I get to work with some extraordinary people. And <coughs> excuse me. And the game, when I'm working with those leaders, is always you know, the reason we're working together is, hey, I'm already here. It looks really impressive to everybody else but to me i'm just getting started and how do i how do i 10x how do i make a bigger impact how do i do the thing which doesn't even feel within my realm of possibility right now so that's what i love to work with people on and time and time again i found that the first conversations we had to have was yeah richard i want to work on all that but right now i'm just stuck in operations or my guilty secret is i roll on my sleeves and get involved in things i probably shouldn't or what or don't even feel i can escape it uh you know if you've got an executive role there's a lot of demands on your place. And you're like, well, I know I need to play a bigger game, but how do I find the time? I'm overloaded. And I, I found time and time again, that was the first conversation that was happening. So I, I coached the clients, we worked through it, and we got various breakthroughs in different areas. I started to realize, yeah, this is a, something which needs to be 
uh, spread more widely, not just for the handful of clients that I work with. And so I ran a program or two on the topic for, for a wider group of managers. And then finally the book came out. The premise though, if we really boil that down is I suppose the first thing is that um, everybody's trapped, you know, almost everybody's trapped with all this stuff coming at us from every direction. And mm-hmm. that creates incrementalism. It, you know, we, we, we turn the handle, we're running fast, but we're not making the progress, the breakthrough results that we want. And so for me, making time for strategy, is not necessarily corporate strategy. It's whatever is going to move the needle for you and for what you're up to in the world. Well, and I think that resonates with, that will resonate with uh, many people on, on listening to this. You start with this collective sense of rising demand and constant overload and seemingly no hope. Uh, except more of the same uh, that many of the people that you're coaching are experiencing. So can you just give us a sense of what you're seeing in this regard and yeah. how has that changed? How have those demands changed over the recent years? Yeah, so the way I see it, we now live in a world of infinity, okay? Because we've got infinite dem- opportunities and demands on us. It's just never-ending. So you look at your inbox, your messaging, there's just more coming in all the time and it never stops. If you send a message, you get two back normally. So it literally is infinite. And then you've got infinite media podcasts to listen to, videos to watch, movies to stream, books to read, uh, blogs to to digest, right? all these different things. And um, and when you do, when you read one of them, you tend to get, or you watch one movie, you tend to get recommended 10 more. So once again, the amount of media is infinite. And then relationships, the amount of social media, you can strike up conversations with anyone around the world over social media or or communications at any point. Again, it's infinite. And and so overall, infinite opportunities, things that we can put our attention on. And that's like it really is an unparalleled situation. We've not really, I don't think, realized to what extent this is completely true now, uh, that everything is kind of almost, you know, our music right yeah. even our music you know it's not even the ipod anymore where you had a thousand songs in your pocket you've now got every song that's ever been produced available to you at any time to listen to so so that's kind of the context and i call it the infinity trap because most leaders respond to that by running faster and faster right we uh we we say okay there's a lot to do and i hit my foot to the floor step on the gas and start to get through my tasks faster Perhaps prioritize relentlessly, try to get things down, but but actually, it creates this trap because we get into superhero mode. It feels good. We get a buzz. We're getting the dopamine hits of ticking off task after task. We're adding value in all sorts of different ways. Uh, or at least we feel that's what we're doing. Sometimes it's not necessarily as much value as we want. We're doing emails, but we're getting things done, and uh, and yet we're starting to get this tunnel vision. I like to remind people of, you might have seen it, this video on YouTube where you've got the basketball team and you have to count how many times they pass the ball between each other. You count and it's like 17 times. And they say, the answer is 17. And you're very proud of yourself. And then the guy asks you, did you see the gorilla? And there's a guy in a gorilla suit that walks right through this scene. And yeah, I didn't notice it when I was so busy counting the ball. Most people don't notice it. And... And the point is that we get this tunnel vision because we're so focused on all the operational things we've got to do, all the balls we're juggling, these opportunities that are so close that we don't see. And 
those are often the breakthrough opportunities. There are questions, if we just asked ourselves that, we'd see the world in a new way, we'd shift our focus. And so I think what happens is that you know, the faster we're moving, the less we actually notice these breakthroughs. So you talk about the power of strategic time being the number one predictor of success as a leader, something that, as we've talked about, most leaders we work with crave for, but always feels just out of their grasp uh, regarding the, the reality of immediate demands. So how do they rethink this? How do they create that positive flywheel effect that you described? Right, yeah. So the reason I say that number one is the number one KPI is that if we can just create that bit of time that's going to make things better in a week or a month's time, it's like it's like finance, right? It's like compound interest. You know, you, you're saving money, but it's starting to earn an interest, it's starting to pay back over, and earn a return. Whereas if we just spend all our money every week, we have nothing in the bank, right? But if we save a bit, it's going to compound and, and, and grow exponentially. So it's the same with impact, right? It's like if we're just using all of our time to stay on that on that flywheel, we're not going to make the impact we want. But if we can take a bit of time and invest it um, in something that's going to make the future better, then perhaps we'll free up a bit more time next week that we can then reinvest to free up a bit more time. And so I think it's when leaders manage to do this and create new capabilities, uh, new relationships, um, new projects, then those are things which are going to serve them kind of perpetually into the future. Um, so as an example, my own career, you know, a few things, um, even just recently, you know, the book, right? I mean, the book is a new asset, you know, which <laughs> I had to invest time in doing that, right? Nobody asked me to do it. I often say the most important project is the one that no one is asking you for. So nobody's asked me to write a book. You know, my clients are asking me to, you know, do my sessions with them or, or whatever, or ask for a proposal or do all these things. Uh, my team were asking me to, you know, check the finances or, or whatever, <laughs> whatever I had to do, all the operational things. But it was me that had to say, okay, what's one thing I want to do, which is going to create, uh, make everything easier and and raise my game. And a book, for example, is is one of those projects. You know, launching a podcast was an, was another one. Um, but it might also be, you know, hiring an assistant, or it could be you know, delegating some task. Uh, all these things create a permanent shift in how we operate in the world. So I suppose the first thing, the first, you asked me about how I'd start to shift that. I mean, there's various ways, but I think the first understanding is, is you've got to say, what is it that if I could spend time on that would be a game changer, right? So uh, often people will say, um, you know, I can't free myself up from all this stuff around me. You know, I can't free myself up from everything. I'm trying. Well, no wonder it's the infinity. It's infinity. You can't do it. But uh, as I say, say in the book, one of my clients, his wife went into hospital and he became a delegation master overnight because he realized what was important. So for leaders, as you said, um, John, who are who feel a bit, find it hard to free this time up, I would say get really clear on what you'd want to use that time for. What's the, what, what are the questions you want to ask yourself? Mm. What are the projects you want to work on? And really get, make sure those are game changers. And then I think once you realize what those high priority things are, it becomes a lot easier to start to say no. But often we wait and we want to clear the space first 
and then we'll have some time to think and then we'll think about what we want to think about well i'd say just make three take three minutes this is really practical i do it all the time with clients they're blown away take three minutes put a timer mm -hmm. on just start writing down questions that you might like to get to and start to think about if you had time i tell you after three minutes normally i come back and i come off mute and i say to my clients okay you ready to move forward and they're like no 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 go away richard I'm in, I'm in flow. I'm in flow. I'm, I'm writing, you know, and I, I go normally give another three minutes. Um, so just take three minutes and just start to write down, like, if you had some time, what would you want to be working on? And uh, believe me, your level of thinking will, will rise. The way you're framing up the case for this, because John and I focus on um, this this topic of time for leaders a, a lot, but you're you're connecting it very deeply to the impact we want to create and which goes back to even your personal story you shared at the beginning, right? You don't save and push these things off for retirement. It may not come or you don't push things off in your day to day for, for some future time when, you know, ideally all of the emails stop and all of the distractions stop because that's never going to happen. Um, so let's turn if we can to your solutions. Um, you've, um, you've arranged a, uh, a, a really, a really, neat acronym here on um, on how you approach this um, and it spells out the word time uh, which stands for T. T is for tactical challenge. I is for influence challenge. The M is for mindset challenge and E is for environment challenge. So if we could let's walk through each of those and how they all fit together. So starting with T for the tactical challenge what is that specifically and how do we immediately start to make that work? Right. So I'm going to answer your question. And I'm also going to say, you don't always have to do it in order. Okay. It's mm. quite important. In fact, I wrote the book. I make it like one of these uh, choose your own adventure books, right? Where you could literally go to the right section for you. Because when you're busy, you don't want to work on things which are not the limiting factor. I mean, you want to directly get to the one thing. And so what I've found in clients is that of these four areas, one might be the, the place you need to start. So you can work through it sequentially. And it works like that. But sometimes it's worth mm -hmm. saying, what's the one thing that's really holding me back in this area? So we'll go through them, obviously, right. but in sequence, it makes sense. But it's worth realizing that you can just dive in and figure out what's the most valuable for you at any one time. So let's talk about tactics. So the tactical challenge, you say, often it gets actually overrated in some ways because people try to solve infinity with productivity and it doesn't work, mm. right? So when we talk about tactics, we're often thinking about, you know, workflows and, and how we manage our calendar and our email and our tasks and those kind of things and have a system that actually allows us not to waste time on on the details, allows us to get through what we have to get through quite fast. And um, so that's basically part of the tactical challenge. But the starting point for many leaders, which we also cover in this section, is you know, how do they write the ship? It's like imagine you're a business and you're losing money or you're not making any money. Right, you like you need to take some bold corrective actions to get back into profitability. Mm -hmm. And so, if you don't really have any strategic time, for me, strategic time you can look at it as your profitability, your personal profitability. Right? You have, have you created this margin that you can invest in the future? Right. And so, if you haven't got any profit, if you if you're just running on empty, you know, with with, with no time or in negative, right? You're just overloaded. You're burning out. You have to make some bold shifts. So in the book, I go through a couple of concepts. The first one is 
um, is to make a commitment inventory, is to really figure out like what actually takes your time. It's really basic. It doesn't take that long, um, but it's important. Like What actually takes your time every day, every week, every month, every quarter? Just get it down. Understand where your time goes at a high level. And then start to understand how committed are you really to those things? How impactful are they really, um, given the time you're spending on them? So you might find there's a meeting, and there's five minutes in that meeting, which is really valuable for you but you're having to sit in it for three hours. In which case, probably it's gonna, you're going to score it relatively low. right? Whereas you know that one-to-one time with your manager or your, or your team, you might say, that's actually really valuable. That's one of the mes- highlights of my week. You score it higher. The first thing is to start to understand where you are making impact, uh, which is valuable and meaningful for you. And then once you have that, I take people through a process. It's a five-step process. Um, to actually look at how do we practically eliminate or reduce or whatever we need to do, delegate those mm-hmm. some of those lower value tasks so that we free ourselves up in a meaningful way. So I need to stop there perhaps. I think there's these two parts, the tactical challenge. There's the general workflow part, blocking and tackling. Um, you know, how do we do our emails? Or are we forever scanning our emails trying to find something to respond to? Or do we have a process where we know we don't have to keep dipping in all the time. And then there's this more of this project that you want to run with yourself to free up time and to get rid of all those things that are clogging up your, your diary and your attention. How, this might be covered in one of the other uh, strategies. So I might be jumping ahead. And if I am, then just stop me and we'll, we'll wait till we get there. But how, in your experience in working with leaders in doing this inventory, how challenging is it for them to get honest about the time wasters versus the things that really add value because i imagine most people aren't thinking they're wasting their time right they're busy because they think everything they're doing has equal importance yeah it's it's a good question people do come at it in different ways one thing i try to say is like calibrate your answers so if you if you're scoring everything as a nine out of ten or everything is a three out of ten, you might want to start to kind of expand the range on that. So in fact, one mm-hmm. thing I always say is um, really make sure you can spot the bottom twenty percent of your time. So what is the bottom day? You know, out of every week, what's the one day that you're spending on the least valuable things? Because we've all got the least valuable by definition. There's always going to be something which is the least valuable, and then. Uh, and as I say, if you really can't figure out what your least valuable 20% is, pass your diary or calendar to your colleagues mm. and ask them to identify <laughs> it for you. Most people don't want to go there because they know when they do that, their colleagues are going to put their fingers right on those spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good suggestion. Host intervention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I think it's um, it's a great point. It does require a little bit of honesty. And again, this might be an iterative process, right? You might not solve everything in one go. But I think actually deep down, if we just go, you know, what are the things where I'm not in that zone of this, my unique contribution, where I'm really playing at my highest level? And I think most people do have a sense of where they're, they're getting distracted and sidetracked. Okay, so Richard, you know, the, the tactical move doesn't operate in isolation for the leader. So does it solve the problem or do they need to be thinking wider than this? Yeah, so what the tactical, that plan that I just described, it's really important to get you clear on what needs to happen. right? But then there is actually implementing that plan. 
And that's probably where we move to the second part in the acronym, influence. Because what I see often people get blocked is they know what they need to get rid of, but they can't do it or they feel they can't do it. They feel they're not allowed to do it. They feel their box won't mm. let them um, not come to the boring weekly all-hands call that doesn't add any value to them. Or they feel that their colleagues are dumping stuff on them that's not valuable and they don't know how to get out of it. Or they feel that their team is bringing them low-level problems which the team should be solving. For some reason, they're not and they're being brought up to the manager. And so at that point, um, it becomes influence challenge. How do we actually renegotiate our agreements with these people? As, as I say in the book, the um, when we, if, we go, if we decide to lose a few pounds, go on a diet, for example... Um, it's our family that's going to hold us back because they're going to be the ones putting the chocolate cake under our nose. Right? So the people around and the people closest to us are the people who are most likely um, to actually sabotage a change in behavior because they've got comfortable with who we are, what we deliver, how we relate to them, the, the interactions that we have going on. So if you suddenly decide you want to become strategic and not check your emails as often and uh, and not do certain activities and extract yourself from meetings, that has an impact on people. And so it's doable, but we have to influence and we have to have those conversations, which might be a bit challenging sometimes in order to uh, secure the, the results that we're looking for. Can you give us an example of a particularly challenging type of conversation that leaders need to have that they may avoid or they find difficult to, to to have? Yeah, so a classic one would be, you know, my boss is always pinging me on Slack or something, you know, and so I, I try to have some time, but I'm getting messaged and I need to reply. It happens a lot. And so people would feel they never have time when they can really be in the zone. Well, in that case, there's a conversation to be had with, with your manager, with your boss, you know, say, look, um, you've given me some really important projects to do that are going to be significant. Right? I'm I'm noticing that I'm not able to dedicate the thinking time needed to really focus and drive these forwards. And you know, I need to create some protected time in my week to travel every day to really move that forward. And I think if I do that, I think I'm going to hit my objectives. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do all these things. So we start to sell it. What's in it for him or her? And then. Yeah, this is my ask of you, for example, right? Um, it would be great if uh, you understand. Yeah, I, I feel a real pressure whenever you send me a message to respond immediately or very quickly. And yet I, I feel it's really important to, to not be looking at my phone in these moments. So is it okay if on a Monday morning or if every day bef between 9 and 10 a.m. or whatever it is, is it okay if if I don't get back to you in that moment, and and you and you'll know that. And now you know you, either your manager will say, "Yeah, that's great. I love the fact that you're focusing. Great, good, good on you. We need more people like you in the organisation." Could well be the, could be well be the response uh, because you're asking for what you need to deliver what you've been on the hook to deliver. Or the boss might not be so amenable. Well, you know, I need to be in touch with you. You know, what happens if we've got an emergency? In which case, there's now a negotiation. You can perhaps offer an alternative. Well, how about you actually, if you really need me, you call me. I'll leave my phone on with you on a VIP list, you can call me, it will ring, I'll take it. But if it's just a message that you need to get, it's not quite so urgent, it's just going to pile up and I'll, I'll, I'll get to it later. So you can start to have a creative conversation um, with your manager around that. And if really pushing back, you say, well, look, you know, how would you recommend that I carve out time to focus? 
and then that might make him think, oh, okay, I need to, uh, I do need to flex a little bit. So that's just one example. Mm. But you can see how if you don't have that conversation, if you try to do your strategic thinking mm-hmm. on the sly, almost kind of like without anybody knowing about it, um, you're actually going to be butting into the expectations that haven't changed. Mm. Well, I focused in immediately. So speaking of focus, I went right to mindset when I saw your acronym, because um, it's something of particular importance. In fact, John, I don't know if you know, but has recently released a book all about mindsets called leading in a non-linear world so we're very very interested in this so from Thank, your perspective that advert there scott you were yeah i'd like to work those <laughs> in for you you can pay me later um from your perspective richard um what are the specific mindset blocks and i think we've hovered around some of those and what you've been saying already but you know what specifically in mindset is of particular importance in making this work mm. yeah you're right mindset is is a it's one of the key ones. I mean, part of me almost wanted to start the book with with mindset, mm. uh, although it wouldn't fit the acronym, right? So, um, but also, actually, people did say often we just like to get straight into the tactical stuff, right, and get going. Um, but I do think mindset is, is a key shift. So, let me give you an example. Right? I was working with one client. He was um, uh, a C suite of a really large multinational tech company, and. Uh, he'd been charged with delivering as he onboarded some really transformational projects. So fantastic. And I was working with him. He was onboarding. He was, he was all going really well. And then one day he comes and says, Richard, I need a tip from you about email. And I'm like, okay, you're paying me far too much money to get, if you want a tip, go and Google a tip. But what's really going on for you? And so he said, well, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm stuck in my inbox. I'm not getting to these high valued projects uh, that we've been talking about. I'm not spending enough time on them. So I said, okay, well, why are you doing that? He says, well, you know, I don't want to be the unreliable, untrustworthy person i don't want to be not a team player i mean i am a team player i want to be a team player i don't want to be that guy who everyone's always waiting for and um and so i was like okay so i can't help you <laughs> what do you mean i can't help you well i'm not going to tell you to be unreliable untrustworthy and a bad team player right but tell me this if your ceo is in the room what would he be wanting you to do oh yeah do these transformational projects that'd be amazing um what about your investors? Oh well, yeah, it makes a really big difference to the to the to the bottom line. They want me to do these big projects. Yeah. What about your team? Oh yeah, it's going to transform the way they're working. They're so fed up of the archaic systems we're using. Great. And what about the um, the customers? Well, they wouldn't really know. It's an internal project, but actually, we'll free up our team for massive, you know, much more time for customers. So yeah, I guess they would actually want me to do that as well. So I got laughed and said, okay, so basically, you're getting paid the big bucks, right? Everyone's telling you to do these transformational projects. That's what they really want. That's why you're getting paid the big mm-hmm. bucks. So I put it to you that when you're in your inbox, you're actually being untrustworthy, unreliable, and not a team player. Mm. And in that moment, everything shifted for him. The identity shifted. It's like, oh yeah, I'm playing the wrong game here. Like, mm. who am I actually responsible to? Who's actually, who do I actually need? It's not all these people who happen to be bursting into my inbox. It's actually these big render. Right. And so... The different mindset challenges we have will vary. Some of us are addicted to, you know, success and driving and, um, well, not even success. We're addicted to, to activity, right? And, mm. and, and, and action and feeling we're moving and we, we, we feel guilty if we stop. That's a classic one. You know, we, we feel we need to be hyper-responsive all the time. 
Um, so we, that there can be that kind of uh, mindset. There could be the people pleasing mindset, um, as we've just described. Um, there can be uh, a kind of perfectionism, you know, um, that comes in. I can't possibly delegate because it wouldn't be done as well as as, as as if I do it. And that's another classic one. I tend to hack people with that one, hack people thinking with that one by calling them the high-performing janitor. It's like, okay, you're the high, <laughs> you're scrubbing that floor tile really, really, you know, it's beautiful. You could eat your dinner off it, but, you know, you've got a business to run. Why are you polishing this one floor tile over here? So, so there's, I mean, there's a variety of ways, right? And in the book, I go through quite a few of them, but um, and I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do in each chapter really is just provide a different angle to people realize, oh, there is another way here. Because mindset is really, we're trapped, right, in what we think is necessary, possible, and desirable. That's what really traps us. So when you talk to leaders about the need to shift their mindset, um, you know, Scott and I have explored this topic extensively with loads of people in terms of trying to get different perspectives on it. The block to doing this often is a, a kind of feeling of helplessness or powerlessness in, in being able to, to do these things. So it's not just a cognitive shift of this is what this looks like and this is what this looks like. Um, it's also the feeling, um, the emotional kind of responses that people have to these and so on. How do you help people to kind of cope with what's going on inside them to deal with that, that shift in their thinking? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of things, I, I guess, if we really get into that. Um, so one thing I suppose I, I'd say is a mindset shift normally involves a metaphor. Uh, a different metaphor, we see the world in a slightly different way. Because normally the mindset, mindset is all around concepts, right? There's some kind of concept that we're thinking about, and we're thinking about it in a certain way. And so I find that those metaphors can help shift things. And then there is this question of, kind of self-efficacy, right? Like, do I have it within me? to make that change and I think sometimes it's good to go back into the past so you know when have you done this in the past the thing that we're talking about so you know for example um <clears throat> somebody gave me a taste of my own medicine when I was uh when I was feeling overwhelmed around too much on my plate and thinking okay, I keep talking about slowing down to speed up you know I believe that but then same moment, well, actually, do I really believe it? You know, like, does it actually work? Like, will I actually be more successful if I slow down? And uh, my own coach said to me, well, give me an example in your own life when you did do that, when you did do less work, and it created a breakthrough. And so I was able to think about that, find an example, and I realized, oh, yeah, I have got a track record in this. I think that's a really, really helpful tool. So let's turn to the final um, part of the acronym E for environment. What's the environmental challenge? So the environmental challenge is, is because I'm talking here to leaders, right? And, and, and as leaders, we have a responsibility, yeah, to get ourselves out the weeds and focus on what's going to move the needle for us, right? That's what it's about. Um, but first of all, we can't do that if our team are completely overloaded. I mean, how, who are we going to delegate to if nobody's got any time for anything? Uh, secondly, how are we going to get our projects delivered, these big initiatives perhaps that we're going to come up with in our strategic thinking, if everyone's involved in busy work? 
Uh, and thirdly, we have a responsibility to our teams and organizations to help free them up, to help them find their edge, find the thing which is going to make a difference for them. And so for me, get, becoming productive or strategic as an individual isn't enough, right? The real game is how do I help my organization become more strategic and more focused and working on the things that actually matter. So the environment challenge is really that idea of, yeah, how do I actually start to see these ideas and, and shoot these new behaviors into my team and ultimately my whole organization? So uh, how practically can I start to, to create that culture of, of strategic focus? So you, you point out that incremental progress is no way to beat infinity. We talk about the bold moves necessary to make real impact. Yeah. Are you, are you talking on the organizational level? Well, you use this phrase, um, incremental progress is no way to beat infinity. So the response to that then is you've got to do something that's disruptive. And I'm wondering how do you get people to, to think about shifting into a state where the incrementalism isn't there any play, that they can actually do something more ambitious? Yeah, so I think the first thing is to uh, is to really get into the future, right, and to start to think about and and to and just not to yeah not to start um, in the present forward, but do future back, right. So, what is it that you would love to create? I think one of my favorite questions: What would you love to create? What would you love to be true in whatever time frame you want? Generally, a time frame which is so far in the just just far enough in the future that you can't join the dots to it, right? If they want to create tomorrow. You don't have much flexibility. But if someone say, what do you want to create in two years, three years, or five years, then you start to be able to have a sense of possibility. Oh, wow, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if I was a, I don't know, if I had a million followers on my podcast account? Or uh, wouldn't it be amazing, you know, if we'd been able to um, scale our business into five new countries over that period, or whatever it is. Now, what I try to look for when we're talking about that is, Where's the emotion in it? Sometimes the first answers are often quite, you know, incremental, actually. They're kind of like, yeah, I'd like to, like, grow my business by 50% or something. You know, it's fine, why not? But it's, it's, often, it's often an intellectual answer. That sounds like a kind of goal I should have. What really incites me is, yeah, but where's the emotion in that? So I kind of find it when somebody starts to get a silly grin on their face. That this sounds a bit, this sounds a bit stupid. It probably can't be done. But it would be really cool if it had been done. And I find that when we start to get to that area where there's a bit of a sense of, um, of excitement and spark, then we know we've got some juice here to play with. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of times people talk about smart goals. Um, and I think smart goals are a little bit boring. I mean, they're necessary in many ways. Mm -hmm. They're a little bit boring, right? They're achievable. Great. <laughs> uh, they're realistic. Um, I like wise goals, um, you know, wondrous, uh, inspiring, significant, exciting. Um, uh, goals which light us up and make us want to play a big game. And I think that's, for me, where you start to get into this, um, where you start to open up to things that are not incremental. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm curious for you. I mean, you, what's your experience on this? I'm sure you, you, know, you work on people with these kinds of topics. Well, I, I guess the it, it, it varies uh, depending on the, the the level of acceptance of need. So mm. I think some, sometimes when organizations are staring down the barrel of a gun and 
the CEO or somebody is saying, you know, can we change? And the, everybody's going, like they're just shrugging their shoulders and they're waiting for, for the axe to fall, then incrementalism sometimes seems like the only answer because they they don't create any capacity to think themselves out of the box. Um, and they're waiting for their own demise to be replaced by somebody else or to be bought out and so on. So we see a lot of that, I guess. You, you see a lot of that. And um, uh, the, the time to think imaginatively and to, to harness um, that, that creative um, part of our brains seems to be so devalued in organizations so that even when people do have time to think, they feel almost compelled to fill it with more of the incremental stuff. Yeah. So it's like, where is the source of, of bold thinking of, of imagination, um, which has become very depleted. Uh, that's, that's the bit that we're seeing, you know, and when you talk to, to many organizations and leaders about this, they nod, but they don't really, there's not a real acceptance of what you're talking about as being either desirable or practical or, you know, it's sort of an indulgence. Yeah, and then sometimes that's a mindset issue, right? That it's not actually a real issue. I, I do like to challenge myself because I have a tendency to just get into action because I, I do get a buzz from that. But I also love being creative, and I realize you can't be creative and productive at the same time. You have to choose. And when you realize, oh my, you know, am I spending my whole life being productive and not at all creative? I'm not sure I want to live my life like that, right? I love being creative, and actually it's the creativity that ends up taking things to another level, right? You know, you created this podcast or whatever, right? You thought about it and you created it and that makes a big difference. Um, or any project, any any endeavor starts with that creativity, but creativity is not productive. You sit in front of a blank piece of paper. You, you know, you, 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 you try something, it doesn't work. You, you think you try, you screw up the paper and you try something else, right? You, you're kind of experimenting. And I think you're right in organizations, people don't give themselves permission always to do that. A quick way that can be interesting to kind of embolden people's thinking is when there's a problem or an issue or something they're trying to solve, they're trying to generate ideas or say, well, you know, what would be the fastest way to achieve that? Or you know, what would be the fastest answer? What would be the, the quickest or the, the simplest? Um, what's the obvious answer? You know, and then what's the boldest answer? And actually getting to actively think about well, what would be a bold answer or a creative answer? Even just doing that starts to open up a crack in the a crack in the thinking process to new ideas. And often actually the boldest answer or the most creative answer turns out to be one of the best ones. Hi, this is Emma Sinclair, business psychologist, occasional co-host, and fan of the Evolving Leader podcast. There are now over a hundred episodes with an incredible list of guests encompassing a broad range of disciplines, all handpicked by us to help you, our audience, understand and overcome your greatest leadership challenges. We have so much more to come. So wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe, share, rate and review. Now, let's get back to the conversation. So we've been talking about this, you know, from an individual perspective, but let's let's widen out and think about these challenges across a team? How, how does a team um, incorporate these? Yeah, and so that, in a way, that's, that's part of this, envir this environment challenge, right? How we create the team. So, I mean, I think one of the, one of the things I, I, I like to love to get teams to get clear about is, first of all, um, who depends on them? 
because often teams get again focused on narrow goals their mm-hmm. stakeholder demands from their boss or whatever it is and actually most teams are answerable to a whole range of stakeholders up and across and down and so i'd have to ask you know, why does this team exist you know, who would who would notice if you didn't exist or if you never met would it really matter what's this team trying to do together and, and get people to really um to really understand the service that they provide to all these different people right are there either pre-existing and then once we've kind of got that, I call it the commission understood what's coming from outside. The question is, well, what would you love to create given all those conflicting tensions, probably the things people want from you? What is it you would love to create over the next couple of years? And I, I focus on that would love to create again, trying mm-hmm. to tap into that emotion. So I think once they start to come up with, um, ideas and they'll, they'll start to spark off each other and you'll start to get that sense of excitement then again, you're normally starting to find some interesting topics. Find that if people are not thinking disruptively enough, you can start to say, well, what's going to change for those stakeholders around you in the next couple of years? What's going to be different in their world? And therefore, how are they going to need something different from your team mm-hmm. or your company or whatever it is, right? Your products that you're offering. And so what you're trying to do there is get people to already be in the future thinking about what's coming down the road. So uh, it's the old adage of skating to where the you know, the, the the puck is uh, is is coming in in, in hockey, in ice hockey. So I think making that shift is quite important uh, to start to get to something which is more than just you know we've got to hit this quarter's goals and so forth. So again, I love to say that um, as I mentioned before, the, the 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 key project is the thing that no one's asking for. The most strategic thing is the thing no one's asking mm-hmm. for. So one as a team, what's the thing that no one's asking us for? But if we deliver that, it would be amazing. And that starts to create a dynamic within a team, which I think is really positive and helpful. Uh, yeah. And at that point, you could then start to say, okay, well, you know, what, you get more practical, right? Well, how do we, you know, what are the things we're going to need to build into our rhythms to make that, to make that true? How are we going to need to work on that? That's an, another question. But I think already getting the imagination going at a team level is really important. Often teams just don't have that conversation. They're stuck in transactional daily repetitive tasks and there's so much going on they don't even dare to dream yeah i see that too i i I work with teams and and push them to do stakeholder audits you know who who depends on you for their success what do they depend on you for and how would they value or rate you know what you're delivering and to your point what are the challenges they're facing how is the world evolving for them how does that inform what you're going to do and, and really push them to go have those conversations to move it out of the academic sort of thought exercise and say, you need to be sitting down with your stakeholders and having these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So I love everything you're saying. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great example. Um, often we don't do that, right? Teams are often working on the tasks. They're not thinking about who they're being as they deliver these or, or what the bigger game is. And I think mm-hmm. even stopping for you know, a few minutes to think about that is important. I think pra- tactically, it can be quite difficult. So you need to really create a special slot to do that. It's really hard to tack it on, onto the end of your weekly team meeting, right? Because it's such a different time frame <laughs> that you're, you're right. meeting in. So you have to kind of carve time out as a leader. It's not so hard to do, but you need to have a slot which is specifically for those kind of topics. Richard, um, I would thoroughly recommend our listeners that they get a copy of the book um, because it is it's very good. It's very clear. It's very actionable. Um, 
but I want you to inspire us um, for the weekend ahead to think about, like, if I could grab 10 minutes to think about myself and how I could start myself on the journey of adopting some of these ideas, what could I do um, when I get some time to myself? And I, I'd also urge you to think about it not just as the, the kind of mature um, leader or manager in an organization, but somebody at the start of their career, they could start to get some of these thoughts into their head so that they, they don't wait. Um, they start modeling it right from the beginning of their, their careers. Yeah, it's a great question. So first thing is I would, I would um, just start to realize that you're an extraordinary person, whoever you are, and you've got plenty more capability in you, right? And there's much more you can do. And sometimes we forget that in ourselves, right? And, we, and sometimes we just like, we've been hit by a few things and we're like, okay, we're just in the day to day. Right, like it's unimaginable. I think what all of us can achieve, and probably, you know, if you look back at where you were ten years ago compared with where you are now, there's been a huge change. And if we want to play this game of an exponential life, well, just think what what could happen in the next few years. So I think the future does not have to be a linear extension of the past. Often we feel it's that way it is. So with that mindset of just like what what could be possible, um, really practically, really practically, I just say, okay, well. If I want to make some changes in my current world, I mean, there's a time for dreaming about what's going to happen in 25 years and 10 years, all that thing. I love all that stuff. But if you want to make some major changes right now, I'd just start to say, well, what are the things that if I were to do, work on those, what are the investments I could make in my, on my time, big and small, that are going to create a better, a better future? So what can I do in the next couple of weeks that will put me in a better position in the next two or three months? When at the start of my consulting career, you know, I built templates in my in Excel to improve the speed at which I did business plans. It was a game changer. It took me a couple of weeks to build it, but I was uh, I, I suddenly could do beautiful business plans which were had no errors and and were beautifully designed and were super flexible in half a day, where the rest of my colleagues were taking five. So when you find these little things, capabilities that you want to build, you know, tools and processes that you want to scale. Um, tasks that you can simplify to free up time, uh, new relationships that you want to build. You don't need many of these. I'd brainstorm a few. I'd probably literally write, if I had a few minutes, I'd write down a list of like, what are the areas of my life where I'm wasting time on recurring tasks that are not adding value? One of the people I work with, he was spending 30% of his work week doing some key finance processes that he was responsible for. I pointed out to him, that's never going to make you CFO. They're really important, payroll and commissions. They're never going to make you CFO. So, and, and, and he didn't think he could give them to his team. He didn't trust his team. He didn't believe his team could do it. Uh, he felt it was too complicated and um, for only he could do it. And I worked with him for, you know, not very, lo not very long, just a couple of months. And he got rid of it all. He was able to go to his boss. Hey, what should I do now? And he was given a promotion. So, so first of all, what are those tasks which is snarling you up every week or every month? that you are just repetitive you're not adding any value in that you're just being a robot so we need to find a way to break you out of those so what are those tasks and what is that how can you start to attack those perhaps you can't attack everything but there's a small bit you can do uh let's just start to get creative what are those small tasks the second part is so that's more like the, the what you want to get rid of how you can start to to execute second one is what do you want to create so what are the capabilities the relationships, the projects, 
um, that if you were to create those over the next couple of weeks, couple of months, will make a really big impact. So sometimes, you know, it's like you build one relationship and it pays back a big time. Actually, I'll give you a really nice example from the book, right? Um, several years ago, I, I served David Allen, uh, who wrote Getting Things Done. It's like the Bible of personal productivity. And, you know, I, I said how much I loved his work. I offered to do some things for his private membership community. I invited him onto my podcast. I invited him to, you know, in, um, I gave him some promotion in various different ways just because I loved his work. And then I happened to say to him, oh, by the way, David, you know, I've, I've got my book coming out. Would you would you be interested in writing a blurb for me? And he was like, oh, I'm, a bit of, I'm a bit of an endorsement diet, he told me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, I get asked every single day, to be honest, for a blurb, which I understand, right? He's been the number one bestseller of whatever, time, time management books for years. And he said, but I'll tell you what, send it over. And if I've got, you know, I'll, I'll, I might better get around to it. And um Amazingly, like, oh, I sent the, the manuscript and a, a week later there it came back, right? He said, very lovely testimonial, it's on the front of the book. Um, says that the, the busier and better you are, the, the better this book could get you to be. I mean, blew me away, uh, fantastic, right? So that's an example of, at least for me, of a breakthrough relationship, right? I wasn't doing it to get the testimonial, I was doing it because I want, you know, I admired his work and wanted to serve him and, and, and build a relationship. But then down the track, a couple of years down the track, it resulted in a breakthrough moment for me where I've got somebody super credible to endorse my, my first book. So relationships and capabilities, I think are great things to think about and let yourself dream a bit. So it's a long answer, but two parts, right? The first part is that what I call the via negativa, like what do you need to get rid of out of your life? What are the things that are slowing you down and are actually blocking you, you know, taking all the space and time? And the second part is what do you want to create in terms of projects, capabilities, um, creativity? Often there's creative projects, uh, a piece of thought leadership, uh, a book, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a new project, uh, a new soft piece of software, whatever it is. What's your creativity project? And, and what's the relationship that you want to build? Brilliant. Well, Scott and I will compare notes on Monday to, to figure out what, what we're going to do as a result of answering those questions. Yeah. Well, Richard, thank you for making time for us today and for your actionable insights. It's been a pleasure. And uh, for our listeners, remember, until next time, the world is evolving. Are you? Are you?